works. Welcome. We are going to start a new chapter in Revelation. We're in Revelation 15. You should have a lesson number 18 up in the upper right corner. We welcome our new residents to Rogers. Wonderful. Joe and Amber. And Amber and Brittany's mom from Nebraska. Welcome. Glad to have you here. Nebraska. Where in Nebraska? Oh, I don't know how much of it is true, but there's a lot of folks in northwest Arkansas that aren't from Arkansas. I've belong to a group at Lost Ridge Village. There are like 60-some women in the group, yeah? and only three from Arkansas. Wow. Are you telling us natives are rare? Let's begin. We begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We open with a devotion from Martin Luther. As is our custom, this is March the 27th. Genesis 39, 20, and 21. While Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. The Lord reached out to him with his unchanging love and gave him protection. The theme of this devotion is trusting God in difficult times. The history of the suffering Joseph, the history of the suffering Joseph experienced when he was sold into slavery can comfort us. He suffered horribly, but God appeared unable to hear or speak. It didn't look like God knew what was happening. In spite of this, Joseph kept his faith. God encouraged Joseph and spoke to his heart. Dear Joseph, wait. Be patient. Just believe and don't despair. Hang on to the promise you heard from your father. In this way, God talked to Joseph through the words of his father. But Joseph didn't really see or hear anything. This made God appear to be blind or dead. Yet Joseph believed the promise God gave to Joseph's ancestors. He thought, God promised to be with Abraham's descendants. I believe in the God of my ancestors. Later, God would speak in a wonderful way when he made Joseph a ruler and rescuer in Egypt. We were giving these examples so that we would learn to have patience in suffering. Then we will never complain about God, no matter how horrible the grief fear, or pain may be. Surely Joseph too experienced deep pain and depression when he was unjustly torn from his father and sold to strangers. He realized he would be a slave forever with no hope of owning anything or ever regaining his freedom. Because our Lord lets such awful things happen to his children, we must patiently bear the bad things that happen to us. They aren't signs that God has abandoned us or is angry with us. Rather, they prove we have his favor. They show us that he's testing our faith. So when's the last time you thanked God for a cold? <laughs> or the flu? That's hard, isn't it? Joseph's story is a neat story of patience and God's providing in times of need. 
We're ready for chapter 15 of Revelation. It's the shortest chapter of the book of Revelation. Uh, not as difficult as some chapters, but again, uh, pictures or illustrations, symbolism, so on, all through this. Keep in mind that Revelation does not happen chronologically. So we get a vision, John gets a vision, then he, we back up and get another vision that John sees, and then we back up and get another vision that John sees. All of it encompassing the same time period between Christ's first and second coming. So don't get hung up with, wait a minute, we just read in the end of chapter 14 the final judgment of the earth, the gathering of the believers, and then the gathering of the unbelievers. But now we're going to back up and look at the wrath of God being expressed uh, in a different way. Okay, chapter 15. Would someone read, please, 1 through 4? I will. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. King of the ages, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Someone want to read 5 through 7, please. After this I looked, and I saw in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And verse 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Okay. Anything hit anybody there that uh, strikes you? It's a pretty straightforward chapter, actually. The picture of the seven angels with the seven plagues that are in the seven bowls. Yes. Let's look at it. Uh, question one on your sheet. How many plagues did the Lord send against Egypt through Moses and Aaron? Anybody remember? There were ten. There were ten. Let's quickly look them up. We're not going to read all of them, but we're going to see if we can pick them out. Um, Exodus 7 through 11. Again, we're not going to read it. We'll just go to, a, to the... I don't know if your Bible has a, a theme line above a 
paragraph or something. Sometimes Bibles do that. That's what I'm going to look at. That's how we'll find the plagues. So in looking, what it's not really a plague, but what was the first miraculous sign that Moses showed Pharaoh? Water is blood. Not yet. You're, that's 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 coming. That's coming. But before that, it wasn't a plague. The snake. The staff became a snake. Why was that not all that impressive to Pharaoh? They could do it too. The magicians did it too, or the sorcerers, right? In fact, as we look through this, the sorcerers matched the first three. And we'll get to it. I want you to notice that the magicians or sorcerers, depending on which translation you read, finally have to admit this is beyond us. It had to come from God, which is a what? You admit there's someone stronger than you? What? You admit there's a God? Okay, now what's the first plague? Uh, 7 verse 14. Well, where does it? Uh, turns the water to blood. Water to blood. We're in Exodus 7. The next plague. Now, wait a minute. I want to see. Uh, look at verse 21. The end of verse 21. The last five words of 21. Blood was everywhere. I don't like the sight of blood. I appreciate doctors and nurses that have to do that. But if I prick my finger, I'm not saying I'm saying, oh, I don't like that. Can you imagine blood everywhere? Yuck. Look, read verse 22. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What chapter are you in when you say Exodus. Exodus 7. Exodus, all the way back in the Old Testament. Exodus 7. Uh, go back to Exodus 7, verse 12. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's snake was a little stronger than the magician's snake. What did it do? Swallow him up. Now look at verse 22 of chapter 7. What does it say? This is the plague of blood. Go ahead, Skip. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by this, their secret arts. Arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Okay. So they've matched the rods becoming snakes. They've matched the plague of blood. Now that's the, the second plague. The frogs. I don't know why this came to my mind, but it did. Has anybody ever went frog hunting at night? Digging, frog digging, yep. with a flashlight, yep. walking in a creek. Yep. Creek. What? Do you, how do you say it in Arkansas? Creek. 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 If you're from Kansas, it's a creek. <laughs> the plague of frogs. Uh, look at verse seven. Exodus 8, verse 7. Someone read that. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So not all that impressive? 
I don't know. I don't want to see frogs anywhere. Okay, that's the second plague. Uh, let's do the third plague. Go to chapter 8, verse uh, 16. Someone read verse 16. Exodus 8, 16. Exodus 8, 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may be, become gnats. What's the first thing that comes out in the spring when you're on a walk and you don't like it? Gnats. <laughs> no seums. No How many knows what a no seum is? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I know? Huh? A buffalo gnat. Oh. Gnats are nasty, aren't they? Any kind of gnats. Now look at verse 18 and 19. Someone read that. Chapter 8. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on men and beasts, and the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God, but Pharaoh heart, heart, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. This is the finger of God. Isn't that amazing? That they admit there's a God that's greater than them? Okay, so we've got water to blood, frogs and gnats. What's the next one? Flies. And then after the flies, go to chapter 9. What's the next one? Livestock die. Everybody see that one? What's the next one? Boils. What? By now, I'm kind of very uncomfortable. And there's only six more to go. Now there's a what? Hail, that's beginning at verse 13. And then in chapter 10, the locusts. Is there ever, does anybody remember? Boy, this really dates me. I don't remember this, but does it, anybody remember the Depression days? Your folks did. Yeah, we were there. Did you remember the locusts coming? Grasshoppers. Grasshoppers, the grasshoppers. Cleaned up everything there was. After the locusts, then what? Darkness over the whole land. And then finally, the tenth plague is death of the firstborn. And finally, the, the Israelites prepared the Passover. That's April 15th, by the way. This year? Or all every year, depending on what calendar you follow. Yeah. So how many plagues were there upon the Egyptians? Ten. How many plagues do the angels bring in Revelation 15? Seven. How did Moses and the children... Of, there were question number two. How did Moses and the children of Israel escape the Egyptian army? Remember what Moses did with the staff? Parting of the sea. Held his staff over the water. 
and dry ground appeared. Wouldn't that have been neat to see? Some people pay good money to go to an aquarium to look at a fish walled up, right? Yeah. You ever been to the aquarium in Springfield? Where it's overfed? Yeah. Yeah. And they walk across on dry land. Question three, what happened to the Egyptian army? Who caused the parting of the Red Sea and the, and the drowning of the Egyptian army? God did. Moses was the instrument of God to hold the staff, right? Moses again held the stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the waters to come back together. Look, especially in Exodus 14, verse 30. If you're still in Exodus, go to chapter 14, verse 30. Exodus, let's read 29 through, 20, through 31. Exodus 14, 29 through 31. Someone, please. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground to the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So who gets the credit for saving the Israelites? God does. That's significant to remember. The whole thing was about the work that the Lord did. Moses didn't part the Red Sea. The Lord did. Question number four. Let's go back to Revelation 15. Where do the faithful stand in Revelation 15, verse 2? Someone read that verse again. Revelation 15, verse 2. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held hearts given them by God. That's good. So who's standing beside the sea? Or where are the faithful standing? I just gave it away. Beside the sea. And the sea was mixed with, or the sea of glass mixed with fire. Yeah, that, what might that be a picture of? Hell. Thank you. Yeah. And who's standing beside it? Not in it. Who's standing beside it? The faithful. Those who were victorious. Those who had the names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Those who are believers. So the answer is they stand beside the sea of glass that's mixed with fire. Other translations that says the sea mixed with fire. What does any other translation say? It's something different. Sea with fire. Does everybody's translation say the sea mixed with fire? Okay, mixed with fire. All right, we're ready for question five. Read the Song of Moses, which followed the Exodus, and then compare it to the Song of Moses and the Lamb in Revelation 15. So back to Exodus. I should have told you to hold your hand there. Exodus 15. We're going to read the Song of Moses. Exodus 15. I should have held my hand there. Exodus 15. 
How many verses? Exodus 15 is kind of long, so let's break it up. Someone read two verses, please. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Three and four, someone. The Lord is the Lord. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Six through eight, someone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. And so, in the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Answer that question. Who among the gods is like the Lord? No one. No one, because there are no other gods. First of all, what would the, be the gods that's probably being referred to there? The Egyptian gods. The Egyptian gods, yeah. Okay, uh, let's keep reading it. Uh, 12 through 14. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror will dread. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you brought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, that you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. That's the song of Moses. Now the song of Moses that's quoted in Revelation 15. Go back to Revelation 15. We don't have that many verses. But let's read it and see if there's some similarities. Revelation 15, uh, start at 3 and read through 4. Someone please. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Good, thanks. Similarities? All acknowledging what? Both songs acknowledging what? God is God. There's no other God. Both songs pay tribute to the Lord and what He has done. 
They point to the fact that the Lord's revealed acts should cause people to recognize that he exists and to worship him. Can we look in today's world's history and say God is at work? Yes, you sure can. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be, come on. <laughs> it's very plain. <laughs> this, these are the end times. Mm -hmm. Of course, the, Is God still involved with his creation? Sure, sure. Every morning when I see the sun coming. Yeah. There you go. All of creation itself speaks, screams, there's a God. And as we talked about last week or the week before, so there's nobody that has any excuse when it comes to acknowledging the existence of God. Go ahead, Skip. Could you say that if, it, if God were not uh, at work in our, in our lives and our earth, that we would just be destroyed automatically? Great comment. Turn to Colossians. Turn to Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There's, there's a, a back in the day when you were learning the, the books of the Bible, how did you remember to do Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians? The, the, the vowels, A-E-I-O-U. A-E-I-O-U, good. Uh, some, someone uh, said something about popcorn was a good way to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I want the book of Colossians. I'll tell you what verse I want in a second. Where's Colossians? <laughs> Before which book? Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. I want chapter 1 of Colossians. I want verse... 16 and 17 and 18. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Stop briefly. Stop. Who is he that's being talked about? Jesus, keep in mind, this is Jesus. Okay, now verse 17 and 18. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Stop. Sorry about that. That's what I wanted. In who does all things hold together? Jesus. Who's in control of his creation? Jesus. Yeah. Okay, now verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Okay, and then verse 19 to add to it somewhat. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. Now there's a lot of theology in those verses. One thing we can say about who is Jesus? He is God. He's God. He's the head of everything. But what I wanted to why I referenced us to this verse 
is that in him all things hold together. together. Back to Skip's comment. If God would withdraw his power from his universe, what would happen? We'd all starve to death. We wouldn't even be here. Well, we couldn't. We couldn't. We'd be no gravity. <laughs> I think everything would like... What you say, Skip? Fall apart? Yeah. Disintegrate. Dis disintegrate. Collapse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it all is about Christ. All right, I have a question. Go. In most texts, when you refer to any, any part of the triune God, it's capitalized. Mm -hmm. Yep. It depends upon the version of the scripture that you're reading. You mean like he is? It, he, should he? Right. If does anybody have the King James Bible? No. Let's see if it's capitalized in the King James tra translation. Colossians one from seventeen to twenty. Is he capitalized? Yeah. Well, I've got to do I'm, I'm using con con Concordia NIV, Concordia Study Bible. Is it in the? Does anybody have access to the King James on your phones? John's looking for us. Anybody got a King James? See if the see if the he pronoun is capitalized. Colossians 16, right? It is in most places, right? It depends on the translation. Depends on the version of translation that you're looking at. He is not. He is not in the King John's. In the King James. How about that? I thought it would be. Using your NIV, go to John chapter 1 and see if it is. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. John 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospel. Yeah, yeah. I've got tabs here. That's all. <laughs> now, I'm going to see it. There you go. John 1, verses 1 through 3. Well, it capitalizes Word and God and uh, He. It does. Yeah. It does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So it might be a difference, and I'm just doing this off the top of my head. Might be the difference between what's written in the gospel versus what's written in an epistle lesson. Uh, it's a possibility. I can't. James highlights Father in yeah. verse 19. So not all the pronouns referencing Christ is are capitalized, but in some translations they are. Just kind of like in a red letter version of the Bible. Yeah. Did the Bible writers have red ink? Ah, no. <laughs> no. Ah. What? Good question that I don't have. That's true. Good question, and I don't have a good answer. Some because some places the pronouns are capitalized in reference to God and Jesus, and in some places they're not. And I don't have an answer for that. I don't know why. Yeah. Verse question six. As we mentioned in an earlier chapter of Revelation, wait a minute. Yes, that's where we're on at, isn't it? 
The Ark of the Covenant carried what things? The staff, the Ten Commandments, and the jar of manna, right? Where was the ark placed? In what part of the tabernacle? The most holy of holy place, okay? Now look in Exodus 30, 26, verse 33. Exodus 26. Why didn't I hold my hand in Exodus? <laughs> How many hands do you have? <laughs> Exodus, Exodus 26, especially verse 33. Someone read that if you have it. Hang the, the curtain from the clasp and place the ark of the testimony behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place. So the ark will be in the most holy place behind the curtain. This chapter of Exodus is entirely be describing the tabernacle, a tent that served as the temple while the Israelites were on the move. Why did it need to be a tent? So they could move. So they could move, right. Verse 33 describes how the ark of the covenant was placed in the most holy place in the innermost part of the tabernacle. What is the tabernacle called in Numbers 17? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers 17, verse 7. What is the tabernacle called? The tent of the covenant law. The tent of the covenant law in that translation. Give me another translation. Tent of the testimony. Tabernacle of the wilderness. Tabernacle of the wilderness. Now go back to Revelation. Verse chapter 15. The tent of the what? Testimony. Testimony. Is there... Why am I always going back to Exodus? Why is this study always taking us back to Exodus? What was Exodus about? The, leaving of Israel, uh, the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt and God's protection, protection and setting up His worship. Oh, yes. What is similar... Well, now I'll go back to my question. Why are we in Exodus when we're reading Revelation 15? Because Exodus is all about the salvation of God's people. What's Revelation about? Salvation. salvation of God's people in a very similar way with similar with similar pictures good thank you question seven on your worksheet if the tent of the testimony housed God's law what is the significance of the seven angels emerging from the temple of testimony in Revelation 15 If the tent, or the tent of testimony, how's God's law? What's the significance of the seven angels in chapter 15 of Revelation coming out of that tabernacle of testimony? You have to know what the angels are. They're messengers of God. And so Good. They are sent by God. To do what? Whatever God says. Good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Good. They're God's ministers or agents to take his message, deliver what he has to say. It indicates their role in executing, in this case, God's judgment. And that their message is of divine origin. Who does it directly come from? God. What do their clean... Go ahead, you got a comment. Define God again, Jesus, Holy Spirit... Uh, Father, a uh, creator. Uh, now, when the angels came, are they? They're under that jurisdiction. So it could have been Jesus that sent them, or the Holy Spirit, or or God, or Heavenly Father, Creator. Who's going to stand on the last day on the earth? Jesus. And divide the believers from the unbelievers. Who's going to be involved with the gathering of the peoples from the four winds, especially the believers? The angels. The angels are going to be involved with, well, we saw it at the end of Revelation 14. The angels gather and the angels are involved with the swinging of the sickle that gathers in the believers, the sheaves, if you will. And then the unbelievers, the weeds, if you will. And where are the weeds thrown into? The fire. And how, fall, how long does the fire last? Forever. Yeah, so angels are involved. Let's look at what they're wearing. What are the angels wearing in Revelation 15? What verse are they? 15, 6. So what are they wearing? Yes. What in the world is that about? Purity. Good. Purity. Clean. White linens indicate their purity and their nobility. The golden sashes represent a royal priesthood, priestly function. Their appearance emphasizes the importance and the solemnity of the moment. What cannot stand? Oh, I got to do this. I got time. Turn to the Old Testament book of Zechariah. This is not on your worksheet. Where's Zechariah? Genesis, Exodus, Zechariah. No, what? Right before Malachi. Right before Malachi. Zechariah. I want chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. I'm going to quickly read through it. Look for what cannot stand before the judge. Okay? Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning snick, snick, stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. By the way, the angel of the Lord could possibly be who? 
Yes, the second person of the Trinity. And what is Joshua standing before the angel? What's he got on? Not dirty clothes. Dirty clothes. We have a problem. Filthy garments. Filthy garments. Because he's not, he's a human. There you go. Thank you. He is a sinner. Now look what happens. The angel said, verse 4. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Filthy clothes represents what? Sin. sin. Our sinful nature. Take it off. When did that happen to you? At your baptism. By the way, there's a reason sometimes the symbolism of putting on a baptismal gown, isn't it usually white? And I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house, my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you a place among those standing here. It's a picture of clean garments to replace what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. Now turn to Revelation 7. We've already covered this, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Revelation 7. Who are those who stand before the judge? Those dressed in white robes. Yeah. It's well, interesting about that because you said that that the angel that was talking there may have been Jesus. So Jesus took away his sin. Ah. How about that? Is Christ in the Old Testament? Easily, yes. Remember what Jesus said to the Jews before Abraham was, I am. How are the people of the Old Testament saved? By faith in the coming Savior. By faith in Jesus. What? Can that, can that be said? Yes, you can. Yep. Revelation 7, verse 9, someone. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. There again, what kind of robes? So guess what your apparel in heaven is going to be? What if I want to wear shorts? Yeah. They better be white. <laughs> they better be white. <laughs> they better flow. <laughs> How many people got linen clothes? It ain't very good. I was just kind of thinking there'd be no clothes. I'm just wondering to be a wrinkly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Need ironing, yeah. What? Just, just for the fun of it, why would you think that? Well, I have a different vision of what it would be like. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just thinking that it's kind of like um, electrons. <laughs> well, what is heaven called? What? Thank you. And what was Adam and Eve's 
clothing before sin in paradise? Not at all. <laughs> Birthday suits. I, you know, but if it was up to me, the white robes sound a whole lot better. <laughs> well, I'm talking that when we get there, we don't look like we do. <laughs> I thought it'd be slimmed up. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole lot we don't know, isn't there? A lot we don't know. A lot we shouldn't know <laughs> this side of heaven. You're right. Um, Merge. <laughs> Guess what? It won't matter. But the pictures we have, well, when you picture an angel coming from God, oftentimes, well, think of the angels at the resurrection. What were they wearing? White, white. white robes, right? Yeah. Uh, wasn't it at Jesus' ascension? There were two men standing by the disciples and they were wearing white robes. So there's an indication that angels wear clothes. When they come here, anyhow. Yeah, when they are allowed to be seen. Yeah. And we've seen it in Revelation now two times. Those that stand before the throne are wearing white. I guess you can have white shorts. <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to be a robe. <laughs> Why would everybody be wearing the same thing? Well, they're all the same. Equal. Yeah. And the and the white is the same reason all the way through. Sinless. Purity, holiness, sinless. sinless yeah, sin. I don't know what we're going to be wearing. It won't matter. Uh, you know, a lot of people say was Jesus in the beginning, and I am in Genesis, and God said, "Let us make." There you go. Man. Trinity is right. Trinity is right there in the beginning, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. He's there. It is. What question are we on? Let's go to eight. We're breaking a record today. Question eight. How does the Lord come to Israel? Does somebody still have Exodus? How does the Lord come to Israel on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, verse 9? Somebody have Exodus 19? In a dense cloud. In a dense, thick cloud. Just hold your fingers there in Exodus. We may go back. I don't know. Now back to Revelation 15. What fills the temple in Revelation 15, verse 8? What fills the temple? Smoke from the glory of God and from His power. Uh, turn to... Hold your finger in Exodus 15. I want to go to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. This is a vision that Isaiah sees of God commissioning him. I want verse 4. Isaiah 6, verse 4. Isaiah 6, verse 4. Anybody have it? At the sound of their voices, their, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. And the temple was filled with smoke. <clears throat> what? And the mountain that Moses is on in the Lord's presence was a thick cloud. It could have been like smoke, right? What does all of that mean? I think we appear out of that. I mean, we see an appearance come out of that. We don't see what they're doing. What? Well, 
It's the start of an NBA ball game, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can't see the glory of God face to face. Yeah, good. So it's protecting us, right? Sure. Yeah. And prayers of sin as incense and smoke to God. That's right. The prayers of the saints rise as incense to the Lord. That's kind of awesome. That is kind of awesome. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. It's an awesome, it's awesome to be in the presence of God. Question 10. Well, question nine, what fills the temple in Revelation 15, 8? The temple was filled with smoke. Question 10. In many ways, Revelation 15 reminds us of Israel's exodus from Egypt. How has the Lord provided you with an exodus from captivity to sin, death, and the devil? The work of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ's death, resurrection. Through your baptism. We need to more emphasize baptism and what its significance is. And who does the work in baptism? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Yeah. He that believeth and is baptized. But he that believeth and is baptized. I don't quite understand that always. What does baptism create? Faith. Faith. So he, he that believes in the faith, has faith. But then. In, baptism does not save you. Oh, it does too. Turn to Galatians. <laughs> Turn to Galatians. A-E-I-O-N-U. Galatians. Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians. I want Galatians. Chapter 3. I want Galatians chapter 3. No, I want First Peter. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I do want Galatians, but I also want First uh, Peter. I want to see what baptism does does for us. Now, what chapter and verse? Well, I'm looking. I want Galatians three twenty eight, uh, twenty six, twenty seven, and twenty eight. Galatians three. This is referencing being clothed. Baptism clothes you with something. Someone read. Clothed with righteousness. I want Galatians 3, 26, 27. Okay. And you are all sons of God through his faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. What clothing is given you at baptism? Christ. You're clothed with Christ in baptism. So baptism has the ability to do what? Clothe us with Christ. It's not our clothing. Who, who dresses a baby? Have you ever watched an infant, John and Brittany, does that little one clothe himself? No. If only. If only. <laughs> That's coming. <laughs> who clothes that child? Yeah. Who clothes us in our baptism? Not us. God does. Yeah. Now I want First Peter. Where's First Peter? Uh, might be Second Peter. Tell you. Is it one, two, three? 
three. Thank you. Twenty-one. Thank you. That first, go ahead. Corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Go on. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Thank you. Back up a verse. I'm going to baptism. Two times it says in these verses from First Peter, baptism saves you. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Baptism saves you. Baptism has the power to saves you, saves you, save you. It clothes you with Christ, with His righteousness. And it saves you, not because it washes dirt from your body, but because it puts you into a right relationship with God. Baptism saves you. Okay. Uh, is it necessary to be baptized to be saved? Thief on the cross. By faith you are saved. What do you think? Didn't Jesus do saved a thief on the cross. He didn't have time to hop down and get baptized. He can do anything he wants. Thank you. That's a good way to put it. God can put faith in anybody, any way he wants to. We do not limit God, but God has limited us. And he has given us the means by which he guarantees he will work faith. So baptism saves you. Baptism is the work of the Holy Spirit through the word, the work of God to create faith, to clothe us with Christ, to forgive our sins, to put us in a right relationship with God, to put us into the family of God, if you will. Baptism does that. If someone has, listen carefully how I say this. Be careful. If someone has a proper understanding of the gospel, and the way the Holy Spirit works and refuses to be baptized, what does that say? Does not have faith. Thank you. And refuses to be. If they reject <clears throat> baptism, they're rejecting Christ. They're rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, right? But what did I preface that by saying? If they have a proper understanding of how God works. Hmm. Not all churches, not all people have a proper understanding of how God works. Can God still create faith in them? Sure. Because the word of God, the word is also a means of grace. grace. If you, a lot of people don't have the opportunity and it's not their fault to get baptized as infants, right? right. They're not allowed to. Can God still work faith? Sure, if they had a proper understanding of how God works and understand that baptism is an act of God, not an act of man. If they have that proper understanding, then if they are rejecting, rejecting, they have no faith. Yes. If you have a proper understanding, what will you want to have done if you haven't had it done already? Right. Be baptized. <laughs> Right? My question, though. Yes. If you had a statement that said, baptism always saves, mm -hmm. is that true or false? No, that's a good question. What can reject what has already been placed? 
he who believes and is baptized. So can baptism, uh, can I pick on your baby? Sure. That little baby was baptized, what, a week after it was born? Two yes, weeks? Please. Two weeks. Yeah. Does that baby have faith? Yeah. Does he know he has faith? What's what's the parents' duty? What's their duty? To train them up in the way that they should go. So the faith that is created needs to be nurtured, fed, and so on. So we don't say that once you're baptized, that automatically kicks you into heaven for your whole life. God forbid that Baby John, what are we calling him? God forbid that John dies. Can we say he went to heaven? Well, we can say it. Uh, we can say it, but it's God's choice. Well, it's already been chosen. It's already there. We 100% can guarantee that child would be in heaven. Because baptism saves you. Now, Jesus had a parable about sowing. Sowing seeds? And they said that what he sowed was faith. It was the word of God that yes. create faith. Yeah. And some fell where and some fell right. where. So in other words, words not not always not, always not everybody is being saved at that time. And isn't that parable more a parable about what you do with your word and mm -hmm. how you're supposed to live and you're not you're supposed to have strength enough to when the troubles of the world the that's, water that's, comes to wash you away. That's the seed that falls on the good soil, then it produces yeah. various yeah. different yeah. amounts. Yeah. Go ahead, Skip. Um, following up on baby John. <laughs> Would he be saved because of his parents' faith? Nope. No. Nope. All right. No one can be saved by another's faith. Well, why do his parents have faith? Holy Spirit. Why does he have faith? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. God gets all the credit. All the time. Uh, when... Can God put faith in an unborn child? I know that's where this is going. Yeah. Can God put faith in an unborn child if He so chooses to do? If He so chooses to do. Talk about John the Baptist in the womb. What did he leap for? Do I mean, what did he leap for? Leap for joy at the presence of the Lord, and they didn't go over there and give him a high five. They were both in a womb. But if you it said that Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. And evidently the Holy Spirit jumped into John too because he leaped for joy at the presence of Jesus. God can do anything any way He wants to. Can He save an unborn child? Yes. Can He save an unbaptized person? Yes. What guarantees that faith is put there by a work He gave us to do? And this is where the parents get credit. Go and Baptize. What did his parents see to it that happened? That he got baptized. They were God's instruments to carry out the command of God. God gets all the credit. In every way, God gets all the credit. Now, I don't know if I answered your question. I've been running around it for five minutes. Well, when did, when did uh, God write your name in the book of life? In eternity. Before the world began. Yeah. 
Boy, are you getting confusing. <laughs> Baptism saves. God saves. We do what God tells us to do. We do not limit God, but God limits us and gives us a command and we carry it out and believe His promise that's attached to it. That's right. No one can faith exist when there's no baptism? Yes. Can, can faith that's created at baptism be lost? Yes. Yes. And therefore the need to continue to be in the means of grace so that faith is fed and nurtured and grows. Did everybody in the Bible who had faith remain in their faith? Judas Iscariot. Whether or not he ever had faith, we don't know. What, 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 this is a question we're not going to answer because I'm out of time. Did David lose his faith for a short time when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed Uriah? No. Good question. He still had his faith. Yeah. I don't he just know. turned Turns away, away from, his, from the law. And, his and it took God's act morality. through a prophet to come and confront him with his sin, and then he wrote Psalm 51. It's just like God taps all of us on the shoulder when we start doing something wrong or we say something wrong. We're going to start at question 10. I had a goal and I didn't reach it, but we got 10 questions done. Thank you for putting up with me, and thank you for your questions. Uh, I have to ask you this question. Easter is what? Two weeks from today? Oh, no. Is it three weeks from today? Three weeks. Okay, we don't need an answer now, but Pastor has asked me to present to you, do you want to have Bible class on Easter Sunday or not? And he, he uh, I think, is leaning towards not with his adult confirmation or information class. His new member class. But, yeah. So I, we don't need to decide now, or maybe we do, because Pastor's going to have to announce it for the April announcements. What, does anybody have a preference? It does not matter to me. What are we going to do at 9.30? Yeah, otherwise. I'm going to the sanctuary, I'm sure, for the confirmands. Does anybody have a preference? Should we let Pastor make the call? Yes. How about that? That's what he does, right? <laughs> we'll say that it's up to him and we'll let him decide. And we have a couple of weeks before that, but we'll yeah. still have class. Thank you. Let me quickly pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your means of grace and the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the promise of salvation that we have because you love us. Bless our worship today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, folks. Thank you.